Good. As I was going through my daily routine, I decided to weed. You guys ever weed? No? Just me? And uh, one of the things I discovered in weeding is every time I go out and begin to weed, I curse Adam. One of the other things I discover about weeding is it doesn't matter how many times you do it, you're going to do it again. And again. And again. And as I was thinking about that, uh, and as considering the, the scripture that we have this morning, Matthew chapter 8, we'll be taking a look at uh, the beginning of uh, Jesus' ministry as he begins to show forth the power of the king. He gave us the, the message of the kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount, and he begins to show the power behind the king in the beginning of chapter 8. But I don't want us to miss out on some really important facets of what Jesus is doing. Have you ever, I don't know, been reading a book and just jumped, uh, say, to chapter 42 in the book and tried to keep up with what's going on? Well, a lot of times that's how we study the Bible. We'll go to the 42nd book or, or, or what have you. We'll begin to, to read it. And, and if we don't have an understanding of the things that have come before, the things that God's laid out, the stuff that God said... We're going to miss so many things that God has to tell us, that God wants to show us. In the the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah the prophet tells us this. He says, the problem with men is a problem of the heart. He says, the heart is desperately wicked. The word for wicked that he uses really literally means he's sick. It's sick. It's poison. The heart is messed up. There's an illness there. And as we look in scriptures, we're going to discover that that illness that's within the heart of man, the Bible calls sin. But rather than allowing you and I to define sin ourselves, the Bible defines it for us. The Bible lays out those things in our life that that can be exceedingly sinful. And the, the bottom line is simply this, that we would seek First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? Matthew 6, The Lord said that you seek ye first the kingdom of God. First, you're looking for him. What does it mean to seek the Lord? It means to be where he can be found. You and I, all, we all know places where we're not going to find him. We don't even have to think about it. I know where I'm not going to find the Lord. If I'm hanging out in those places, if that place is the practice of my life, I'm not seeking the Lord. But I'm turning my back to the Lord as the children of Israel did. Sin is the problem that that works within us. We're going to come to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to see God begin to do miracles. And we'd love to see miracles manifested in in our midst today. And I believe God does miracles today. But the chief issue in man is not whether or not God can cure you of your ailment or cure you of your illness Or take away some of the consequences of the choices of life. It's whether or not God can cure you from sin. Whether or not God can cleanse you from the the worst of all ailments. And if we want to have an understanding, get a bit of a grasp on when the Lord is laying out for us what sin does and how sin draws us, then... 
let's go take a look. Let's go see what the word has to say. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5, written for us by arguably the wisest man ever on earth, although at times he was the dumbest man ever on earth. Wisdom and stupidity often go together in the same vein. As we take a look at what he has to say, he encourages encourages his son to follow wisdom. And over and over again, this theme is going to come up as we look at the scriptures. He's going to talk about an immoral woman. And oftentimes when we talk about the immoral woman, we want to focus on the immoral woman and and talk about issues of of sexual immorality and what have you. But listen, when we look at the immoral woman, you need to see her as a personification of sin. And the way that she entices the man is the same way that sin entices us, every one of us, man, woman, child. The Bible tells us that we fall into sin when we are enticed by our own desires, our own lust. The desire within us to sin is born inside. Remember, the Bible says our heart is sick. That's where it lives, in our heart. This big old lump of sin. We can can paint up the outside. We can do all kinds of things outside, but that doesn't affect what's going on inside a man. We're the walking dead. Every single one of us. He says in Proverbs chapter 5, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding that you may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of an immoral woman drip with honey and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood and sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death and her steps lay hold of hell. Lest you ponder her path of life. Her ways are unstable. You do not know them. The immoral woman or the personification of sin always promises pleasure but brings pain. The Bible says that that sin is is pleasant for a moment. That there's a time when when it's good and it's nice and it seems like everything's going to be good in regard to it. But the reality is Her lips are dripping with honey, all these good things to bring you close. But the end is, those are the steps to hell, to death, to destruction. He goes on to tell his his son, he says, Therefore hear me now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house lest you give your honor to others and your years to the cruel one. Lest aliens be filled with your wealth and your labors go to the house of a foreigner, and you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed. The immoral woman, the the personification of sin, entices the one who within us, each one of us, we have that desire it's like we want to hear the siren song. And when we hear the siren song, we want to draw near. We want to taste. We want to play with the scorpion and see what happens. And so we come there. So we put our place in that situation. But while she's promising riches, she only brings poverty. All this emptiness is what sin does. Sin whispers in our ear that this is what you really want and this is what will really make you happy. Happy. 
And if you're honest, every one of you hear that voice. This is what will make me happy. But the Lord said in Matthew 6, 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you. But you make him first. You put him first. But the immoral woman, the, the desire for sin, it calls. It calls until it consumes you. Until it leaves you empty. Seems like a hundred years ago now, but there was a time early on in Kathy and my marriage when I had been diagnosed with HIV. And I would often have to go to a hospital, Bethesda, maybe some of you have heard of it. I'd go to that hospital and I'd, I'd receive whatever treatments. And mostly the, the concept of treatment that they had was to set us in a room and have us all talk about some of the things we were going through. Let me tell you what I saw in that place. People, empty, wasted, shriveled up and dying. I watched them die. One after another, after another, after another. Hey, they weren't all chasing illicit sex. Some of them thought that they would find that happiness, that, that thing that they were lacking in their life in a needle. Some of them thought that they would find it in the, in the arms of many different women, some and many different men. But the end was all the same. It didn't matter who they were. The end was they were shriveled up and dying. That sin was doing what God said it would always do. And regardless as to whether or not you want to put yourself in that room, I thank God for the opportunity I had to be there. I thank God that he saw fit to take me from that place, to deliver me for whatever reason, to do whatever it is that God has for me to do, whatever my purpose is that I'm supposed to fulfill. I got a second chance. Most people don't. Most people, they just go down that road till it's over. God calling out to us, saying to us, we want to understand this whole concept of the gospel, then you have to understand the concept of sin and how God looks at it. Because God doesn't look down at us as these people who are diseased and dirty and filthy and, and he doesn't want to touch them, he doesn't want to be around them, far from that. He looks at us as his children who are sick, who need his touch, and don't even know Many of them that they're sick. Listen, the Pharisees were just as guilty as everyone else. But the Bible says Jesus was a friend to who? Publicans and sinners, right? That the, that the prostitutes and the drug abusers and the alcoholics, they were always comfortable around Jesus. You know why? There's no pretenses. A prostitute, an alcoholic, a drug dealer knows they're a sinner. Where did Jesus have the trouble? With the self-righteous who think their heart isn't diseased. Who think that they're not sick. Who think that somehow they've passed by. They don't have what's been going on in the life of every human being born on earth since Adam. Adam and Eve were thieves. Cain was a murderer. And it's been going on ever since. He tells us more as we... As we uh, look ahead to verse 21, it says, For the ways of man, in Proverbs 5, 
For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. His own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of sin, and he will die for lack of instruction. And in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. See, his own iniquity. Folks, that sin that brought those guys to that room those many years ago that I watched die of of AIDS, HIV. That same sin lives in your heart. Every one of you. That same sin is there. You might make yourself feel good like the Pharisees did and paint yourself up all nice, white and pretty on the outside. But Jesus said they were full of what? Dead men's bones, the same disease. Same disease, only the ones who think they're well, will they seek the physician? If they think we're okay, I think everything's good, I don't need a doctor. What do I need a Savior for? Life's pretty good. You need a Savior because you're sick. You're wasting away. Proverbs goes on in Proverbs chapter 7. He continues the same vein of thinking. My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live, and my law is the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your nearest kin, that they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. Again, sin personified. Whatever it is that whispers in your mind in the cool of the evening, that's who this woman represents. And the man doesn't just represent man, he he represents all man, mankind, facing this this foe that he seems ill-equipped to defend himself against. For at the window of my house I looked through the lattice and I saw among the simple, I perceived among the youth a young man devoid of understanding. Passing along the street near her corner, he took the path to her house, and in the twilight of the evening... In the black and dark night. The Bible lays out for us in Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. That means to put yourself where God is. When Jesus spoke those words, did they know where to find God? I mean, there were certain places they always knew they could go find him, weren't there? Couldn't they find the Lord at the temple? Couldn't they find the Lord in worship in the synagogue? Were they seeking that? No, it says here that... He was off going by her corner. He knew where she was. He heard the call. He answered. He went. He put himself in that position. And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She was loud and rebellious. And her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside. At times in the open square lurking at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him with an impudent face. She said to him, I have peace offerings with me. Today I have paid my vows. Hey, I've already been to the sacrifice. I've already made my offering. Here I have the meat from the peace offering that I just offered to the Lord. We can come together and eat this together. She knew all the right words to say, right? She could speak religious talk. Religious talk ever save anybody? Religious talk or rituals, they ever save anybody? No, they don't. 
They don't. This, this woman, the sin personified, is enticing him. So she says in verse 15, I came out to meet you diligently to seek your face, and I found you. I spread my bed with tapestry covered, uh, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us delight ourselves in love. For my husband's not at home. He has gone a long journey and taken a bag of money with him and will come home only on that appointed day. So with her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately he went after her like an ox to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks. Folks, that's how we go after sin. Like an ox to the slaughter. The same way a young man could be enticed by this woman and drawn away by his lust. The same way we're drawn away to sin. The same way we are drawn away to turn our back to God and turn our face to all the things that are out in the world ready to destroy us. And we comfort ourselves with that religious talk. Well, I made my peace offering. I went to church on Sunday. It's all good. And I'll pray and ask God to forgive me next week. It'll be okay. For let us, let us take the, our fill of love. Let's, let's run away. You remember, did you notice what she perfumed her bed with? Myrrh. Myrrh should remind you of something. Yeah, it's a perfume to anoint the dead. So as an ox to the slaughter, he followed her. As a fool to the correction, till an arrow struck his liver. Even as a bird hastens to the snare. You ever seen a trap for a bird? A big old trap. You and I don't have any problem seeing it. We see the net. We can see the basket. We see the stick with a little string tied to it. But you put whatever that bird wants in it and it don't care. It'll run right underneath that basket. Pull the stick, catch a bird. That easy. As a bird rushes in. So he rushed in. Listen to this. He did not know it would cost his life. The problem with man, the problem with, with each and every one of us is not a problem of I don't have enough money. It's not a problem of I don't have a nice job. It's not a problem of my husband is a knucklehead. It's not a problem of my wife. She don't listen. The problem is sin. Sin runs rampant in our hearts. The prophet Isaiah, as, he, as God looks at the nation of Israel, he's going to lay out this charge on the nation of Israel. So turn with me to Isaiah chapter 1. And we're going to look at this charge that God brings. As he talks to the nation of Israel, it says, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, when he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. For the Lord has spoken, I have nourished and brought up children. But they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not consider. He says that our devotion to him, the nation of Israel's devotion to God, was less than an animal's devotion to its owner. I want you to think about that for a minute. How is your devotion to God? Is it the same as the devotion that your dog or cat or, I don't know, alligator, whatever you got for a pet? 
Is it the same devotion that it has for you? Or is it less? Would the Lord, when He looked at you and I, say, You know, your dog loves you more than you love me. Even the animal knows how to give more love than what you're given. That's the charge that God is bringing. He goes on to say in verse 4, Alas, a sinful nation, a people laden or filled with iniquity, filled with sin, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backward. Remember we talked about Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, that God would have that first place in our life. But what was the charge against Israel? That they turned their back to the Lord, not the front. That means that they turned away to sin. They hear the enticing speech of the immoral woman and they turn away from God. They turn away. They, they give unto Him the back and not the front. So verse 5 says, Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. For the whole head is sick. Listen. And the whole heart faints. It's not a problem of you're just messing up this time. You have a disease. The whole heart faints from the sole of the foot even to the head. There is no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. In verse 6, Isaiah says that the illness of sin in every person's life is just like leprosy. And so when we read about leprosy, we're reading about something that is a picture of what sin does in our life. What sin accomplishes in us. As the Lord continues to bring His charges through Isaiah the prophet, He finally comes to verse 18 of chapter 1 of Isaiah. Look what it says. He says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Even as God looks at the illness, the sickness in man, and He says the sin in your life is likened to leprosy. It's nothing you can do about it. It's going to slowly rot away you from the inside out. He goes on to say, but though your sins are like scarlet, there's a day coming. There will be a day, the prophet Isaiah says, when God's going to wash away your sin. There will be a day when God is going to bring His cleansing to the leprosy of your life. So in Isaiah chapter 1, as God lays out these things before the Lord, He lays out for us that picture. We want to understand a picture of, of leprosy and how leprosy is like sin, then we've got to go back further. We've got to go back to Leviticus chapter 13. Why don't you join me back there? We... Fortunately, don't worry, we're not going through the whole chapter. But as we look at Leviticus chapter 13, I just want to hit on some, some high points, or perhaps what I really want to do is hit on some low points. Isaiah, uh, uh, Leviticus chapter 13 is God describing to the priests how they're supposed to find, locate leprosy, and what they're supposed to do about it. 
And it lays out for us some concepts of how leprosy is like sin. How leprosy is like what the Lord is, is, is speaking about and what we're getting to in Matthew chapter 8. He begins, as, he, as, he, as we begin uh, in the first four verses, he tells us that leprosy, sin like leprosy is deeper than the skin. When he looked for that sore, when they inspected the wound, they always were looking for it to be deeper than the skin level. Because that, that sickness that's within us, that sickness that's within them, is deeper than just what you can see on the outside. Jesus said, not what goes into a man defiles a man, but what comes out of a man. Because what comes out of a man comes from his heart. From, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's out from inside of us, that illness is deeper than skin deep. As he goes on, uh, verses 5 and on, he talks about looking to see whether the wound has spread. Because what happens with sin? Does it just stay in one spot? No, it spreads. It spreads, takes over the body, begins to bring out the, the putrefying sores. In chapter 13, as we continue through to, to verse 44, he says then, not only that, but then they're looking to see and understand that the leprosy defiles it makes unclean, just like sin defiles, ruins, stains. So as they would inspect, they would look for that defiling. Finally, the conclusion of chapter 13 simply is that leprosy and sin are only fit for one place, the fire. The fire. Leviticus chapter 13 tells us God hates sin. Leviticus chapter 13 does not leave us any hope. That if we are stained, as Isaiah chapter 1 says, by the sin or by leprosy in our life, then we are doomed to the fire. There's nothing that we can do to help ourselves. There's nothing that we can do to set ourselves apart anymore. And when we understand that, when we understand that reality, maybe we'll understand as we look at Matthew chapter 8, Maybe we'll understand in the beginning, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, it says, When Jesus had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. People were gathering around. In verse 2 it says, And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Lord, if, if you are willing. You've got to understand how this leper's life was. One day, just one day, he's hanging out in his house. He notices he, he scratched himself somewhere out in the field and it hasn't been healing. And so they didn't have doctors. They'd call for the priest. They would take him outside of the camp where he would stay from that point forward as the priest put him through a battery of tests. So you read about in Leviticus chapter 13. And the priest would look to see if the wound, if it was deeper than skin. He would see if it spread. He would see if it defiled. He would check all these things. And if it did, he would declare him at that moment unclean. And never again would he be able to walk into the house of his family. Never again would he see his wife. Never again his children couldn't touch another human being for the rest of his life because he was stained. So when you consider how a leper was treated, 
you understand how God sees sin. When you think about how a leper was treated, you cannot look at sin as though it's just a little thing. What's the big deal? Just a small thing. It's just a, a little lie. It's just a little this. It's just a little that. That's not how God sees it. God sees it as defiling. Standing the camp. It's got to be kept outside. So this leper, everywhere he walked, wherever he went, he would scream at the top of his lungs, unclean, unclean. And the people who were on the road with him would run to the other side of the road. Just in case they might touch him. Just in case that that disease that he had might spread. His whole life was that way. While this disease would take 10 to 20 years to slowly rot him away from the inside out. So as Jesus is coming down the mountain, here comes this leper. But you see what scripture tells us is that you and me, we're all lepers. And here's the other thing that scripture tells us. The same way this leper came to Jesus is how we must come to Jesus. The same way. He came stained with sin, acknowledging his need. Worshiping the Lord and saying, Lord, if you're willing, if you're willing, God, you can make me clean. Leprosy is a type of sin spreads among our body, robs us of our joy, takes us beyond pain so that we can't feel anymore. You ever heard someone say, I'm just numb? Just talking about the effects of leprosy, of sin in our life. In all these ways. Yet the Bible says in Matthew 8 verse 3. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him. That man had not felt a human touch for as long as it had been since he had been declared unclean. No one would touch him. It is against the law for anyone to touch him. But Jesus touched him. Jesus touched him for two reasons. One, so that you and I would understand this reality. Here's the reality that we need to understand. That God can touch any sin in our life. There's no sin that reaches beyond God's ability to touch. The most putrefying, sickly, ugly, despicable human being on the face of the earth did not compare to that leper. But Jesus touched him. He's saying to you and I through the ages, there's nothing I can't redeem. There's no one I can't change. And so he reaches down and he puts his hand on him. The Bible says immediately he was well. Immediately. The, 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 the tense of that, of that verb as he's reaching out and touching him speaks to the fact that he was made whole even before Jesus touched him. He just didn't know it. He was made whole. Jesus said, I am willing. He reached out. He touched him. 
He said, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. God made him clean. And listen to verse 4. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one. Now, Mark tells us that this guy suffers from the same thing we do. That is, inability to obey what God says. God says, don't tell anyone. He told everyone. God tells us to tell everyone. We tell no one. Go and tell no one, but go your way and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. What's he talking about? What gift? What is it that, that Moses told the people? Well, if we're going to understand that gift, you've got to go back with me to Leviticus chapter 14. Back in Leviticus chapter 14... The Lord laid out for the children of Israel in chapter 13 all the destruction that leprosy brings. In chapter 14, every single priest was required to learn how to do this. Now, you've got to understand this, people. Please understand this. They practiced this, they learned how to do it for 2,000 years. Never once did they need it. Never once did they need it. Every year the priest would go to preschool and they'd say, hey, we need to learn how to offer the offering for the, for the leper cleansed. And they would say, yeah, we're going to learn. Have you ever done one? No, I've never done one. How about you? Have you ever done one? No, Honestly, never heard of this happening before, but it's here, and we got to learn how to do it, so we better learn how to do it. Until the time of Christ. In one day, Jesus will send ten cleansed lepers to the priest. Now, I want you to think for a minute. The priest who for all the generations before them and all the generations that have gone on have never done it once. In one three-year period of time, all of a sudden you're doing this thing all the time. In fact, on one day you did ten of them. But was God got to get a bullhorn and scream? Messiah's here? Listen to what the ceremony was. Leviticus chapter 14. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, This will be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing, which never happened until Christ. He shall be brought to the priest. Now, some of you I know are going, Wait a minute, I remember hearing about a leper that was cleansed. He was a Gentile. He didn't show himself to the priest. Naaman was not a Jew. Scripture goes on and says, And the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest will examine him. And indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper, then the priest shall. So the first thing we see is a priest went to him. Right? Listen, don't miss this. We're all stained with sin. We all got a problem. We are all condemned to death. And God wants to save us because we're his children. So he, just like the priest, came to us. Do you understand? He came to us. 
He left the throne room of heaven, the glory of the heavens, the angels declaring his praise. And he put on the skin of a little baby who had the suckle on his mother's breast, almighty God. In humility, he came to us who were stained. He came to us to pronounce our cleansing, just as the priest would go here. Then the priest will command to take for him who is to be cleansed two living and clean birds. Cedarwood, scarlet, and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. Two birds from the heavens. One of those birds is, is taken and placed into an earthen vessel. Just like Almighty God was placed into a body of flesh. It's held over running water because running water speaks of purity, a pure, sinless life. And placed inside that earthen vessel, that bird is slain, is killed. And the blood of that bird is going to go on to the other bird. It's going to go on to the hyssop, it's going to go on to the scarlet, and it's going to go on to the one who was stained by leprosy. But at this point, is being cleansed. The living bird he will take, and the cedar wood and the scarlet with the hyssop, and dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. And he will sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from leprosy, and shall pronounce him clean, and shall let the living bird loose in an open field. So he takes that other bird with the blood of the first bird upon it, and he lets it go. Where does it go? flies off into the heavens. Don't you see the picture? Takes a bird out of the heaven, puts it in an earthen jar, kills it. That blood makes a resurrection possible. And that resurrected Christ goes away. But the blood of the resurrected Christ through his resurrection makes the leper clean. There's no other sacrifice like this anywhere in the pages of Scripture. It's this one. This one that that points to something heavenly becoming flesh, being slain, sinless life, blood purging, put on the hyssop, put on the cedar. What's the cedar wood doing there? What are they got a cedar wood for? The Bible says that the handwriting of requirements that was written against us has been taken out of the way and nailed to the cross. The cedar wood pictures the cross. What's the hyssop? You remember the psalmist in Psalm 51 declaring, Purge me with hyssop? Purge me with hyssop? Sprinkle the blood on me and make me clean? Forgive me? Create in me a clean heart, O oh God? What's wrong with our heart? It's sick. What does it need? The blood of Jesus Christ to set us free, to cover and make us clean. That the old heart, that hard thing, that shriveled up little raisin in our chest gets chucked. And the Lord gives us a new heart, vibrant 
and alive. And it's all pictured for us in what was to be done by the priest when the leper came to him. Then he who is to be cleansed will wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, wash himself in water that he may be clean. What just happened? He shaved himself clean. No hair on his entire body. He washes his clothes. He washes himself. What do we call that? We call that being born again. For you are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old life is passed away. You are made new. That's what's going on here. That's what's happening in his life. On the seventh day, he will do it again. Seven days later, he does it again. He shaves off all his hair. He washes his clothes to be clean. And on the eighth day, for a new beginning, on the eighth day, he will take two male lambs without blemish. A ewe, one ewe lamb in the first year, three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, a grain offering, one log of oil. And the priest who makes him clean will present the man who is to be made clean with those things before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle or the temple. And the priest will make one male lamb an offer for trespass, a log of oil, a wave offering, a wave offering before the Lord. And he will kill the lamb in that place where he kills the sin offering and the burnt offering in a holy place. For the sin offering is a priest, so is the trespass offering. It is most holy. And the priest will take some of the blood of the trespass offering and put it on the tip of the right ear of him who is cleansed, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Then the lamb is slain, a trespass and a sin offering, and he takes the blood of that sacrifice, and he puts it on his right ear, so that the blood of Jesus Christ would cover what I hear, that I might hear his voice. And he puts it on his right thumb, that I might do what Jesus would have me do. And he puts it on his right toe that I might walk where Jesus would have me walk. And the scripture goes on and he takes the oil and he takes that oil and he puts that oil on the blood of the right ear, the right thumb, and the right toe. Folks, oil always speaks of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit to anoint that which I hear that I might hear the word of God, that I might do the word of God, that I might walk in the ways of God. And then the leper was clean. For years, hundreds, thousands, they never did it. At the beginning of Matthew chapter 8, As Jesus begins to show the power of the king, they do their first one. Of many more to come. Don't you see it pictures exactly what you and I need? Don't you see that that's why God came? That he came because we're leprous and he's the cure. And he made himself that sacrifice to anoint us to a new life. To empower us with the oil of the Holy Spirit to be who God wants us to be. And all that we see in the first four verses of chapter 8 is he heals a leper. And he says, you go to the priest as a testimony to who? To him. 
Because while the priest is doing this ceremony, he's responsible to understand what he just acted out. That God would become man. That he would shed his blood for the remission of our sin. That he would rise again and return to the heavens. And that sacrifice of blood would make us clean. Would make us well. Would make us right. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Your sin has hid his face from you that he will not hear. So from that darkness, a leper trudged on a hot and dusty road, crying out unclean as he went, as a reminder to Israel and to you and I that we are moral lepers who need a supernatural cleansing. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 38, There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all day long, for my loins are full of inflammation, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before you, and my sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pants. My strength fails me. And as for the light of my eyes, it has gone from me. Even my loved ones and friends stand afar from my plague, and my relatives stand afar off. In verse 18, he says, I will declare my iniquity. I will be in anguish over my sin. In verse 22, make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Our sin, our Leprosy becomes our burden. That's why in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are what? Heavy laden. Come to me. Now stop. Who went to him? A woman out of whom he cast seven demons who arguably spent most of her life as a prostitute. Mary Magdalene. Being in his presence was so important to her that she would cry and wash his feet with her tears and wipe it with her hair. She was, the Pharisee said, a sinner and if Jesus was holy. He would know what kind of woman this is. It's touching him. But Jesus said, I've come that the sick might be saved. The Pharisee didn't think he was sick. Even though leprosy was rotting the Pharisee's fingers 
in his face, in his heart, and every other vital organ within his body, he couldn't see it. He couldn't see his need for a Savior. All he could see was the sin that someone else wore. But Jesus said, you come to me if you labor and are heavy laden. You come to me and cast your burden on me, Jesus said, for I care for you. That's the burden he's talking about. Cast that burden of illness, cast that burden of leprosy upon him. Because his blood will make you white as snow. His blood will make you right. In Isaiah 1.6, remember, from the sole of my foot even into my head, there's no soundness. But wounds only and bruises and putrefying sores, they have not been closed, neither bound up, neither modified with ointment. But 1 Peter 2.24 tells us, Who his own self, Jesus, bore our sin in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. Were there no sin, there would be no death. There would be no sickness. There would be no pain. Until there is no sin, those things will remain. We live in a world infected with the leprosy of sin. And there is no escape save through Christ. He makes us clean. See, Christ bore all these things. In Isaiah 53, it says, Surely He, Jesus Christ, has borne our griefs. He carried our sorrows. Yet we did not esteem Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. The blood of Jesus Christ sets us free. All pictured as Jesus reached out and touched a man filled with leprosy. Why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord God, as we come before you this morning, Father, I realize that only those who understand that they have a burden, only those who understand that they are sick, only those who really realize that they are a sinner in need of salvation can come to you. No one else can. Lord, it's our prayer this morning, if there's anybody here who doesn't know you, who hasn't said, Lord, I need that cure. I need your cleansing, the cleansing of my sin by your blood. Father, that they would receive that in this place this morning. 
So while we're gathered in this place and every head is bowed and eyes are closed. If there's anybody here this morning that wants to be cured of the leprosy of sin in their life. They have not asked the Lord to cure them. To be their Lord and Savior. To be purged by that blood. We give them an opportunity to do so this morning. So if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord. And you want Him. Then I'm going to ask you to raise your hand this morning. So we can pray with you. see you sister anybody else anybody else Lord Jesus I thank you I thank you for the one who raised their hand say I need purged by your blood God, I pray, Lord, that you would watch over and keep them. Father, that they would come to you confessing their sin. Confessing the stain, the illness, and receiving the cure, the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would then anoint their ear with your blood, that they might hear your word, that they might hear your voice. Pray that you would anoint their thumb, that they would do that which you've called them to do. I pray that you would anoint their toe, that they would walk with you all the days of their life. And that in that place, not upon the flesh, but upon the blood, that you would anoint them by the power of your spirit to do it. Lord, I pray that your spirit would do a mighty work in this place. As we give you all the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.